All right, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. This is where we play back in the saddle again. Is that a game? It's music. I know, I was being a smart ass. Stop it. You can't take it. Well, your beauty overwhelms me. <laughs> it's distracting, I know. I it know. is. I didn't expect there to be any brains behind it. Oh, my God. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know, everybody. I'm Hannah Green. I'm Mary Swartz. At least I know who I am today. You've known for quite a while. Occasionally. A couple though. months there we had to question it, but Occasionally hey. I forget. All right. My gosh. Yeah. Anything new in your life? There's never anything new in my life. It's still cold. It's still winter. I know. Waiting for spring. I'm still waiting to win the lottery so I can move somewhere warmer. Oh, yeah. Or turn the thermostat up. You know, I want you to know that I, I bought a ticket for like the $1.6 billion a while ago. I'm like going to say you didn't win it. Yeah, back at the, in, at the beginning of January. Because if you did, you hide it really well. Surprise! You're very blasé about it. I just want you to know that gin I brought back from Canada... Very, very expensive gin. <laughs> Used all my lottery winnings on it. Wow. Don't drink it all in one shot. Oh, don't worry. I can, I've got enough money to afford another one. Good, because that's some damn good gin. Yeah, it is. All right. All right, you got, a, you got an odd fact for us today. You put rubber bands in the refrigerator, they last longer. Because you don't use them? Because they don't sprout little rubber bands out of every orifice? I don't know. <laughs> No, because um, it causes the rubber band to relax, which keeps the rubber band from breaking down. It's the only thing that relaxes in the refrigerator. It's the only way a rubber band can relax. It's a hard day's work. Just climbs right up in the fridge and leans all back. And goes, ah. <laughs> Oh. All right. In ancient Greece and Rome... Doctors use spider webs to make bandages for patients. Kind of creative. Jesus. Spider webs supposedly have natural, natural antiseptic and antifungal properties, which can help keep wounds clean and prevent infection. And it is also said that spider webs are rich in vitamin K, which helps promote clotting. That's awesome. Yeah. I Wow. Some good facts we got going today. So the next time you walk into a spider web... Save it. I was just going to say, don't freak out. Peel it off carefully and save it. You never know when you're going to need it. Yeah. So sheriff's deputies in Harris County, Texas, thought that they had perhaps the biggest, biggest bust ever for a traffic stop. Okay. Two pounds of a white substance was found inside a sock. In Inside of a sock? Cornstarch? Because you're no, baking, baking powder because the sock stunk. Oh, that is good. In a vehicle of a 24-year-old, and field tests had indicated that it was meth, or possibly some kind of super meth. Oh, super meth. Super meth. What is... Okay, never mind. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Don't go down that hole. <laughs> Don't make me bring up the rubber bands. <laughs> All right. So the 24-year-old was book, press release... Just, you know, like, heralded them. I just want to know, what is, the, at this point, all I can think is, what does the 24-year-old have to say? I don't know. He's not part of the story, just he's in jail. Okay. 
The press release stated that they have kept our children and loved ones free from being introduced to drugs. Oh. All in a day's work for Harris County detectives who had dramatically succeeded in removing from the streets two pounds of the state's purest uncut kitty litter. <laughs> kitty litter? Kitty litter. Kitty litter isn't a fine powder. Kitty litter looks nothing like heroin or meth. You're not in Texas, dear. What the fuck were these people drinking? I don't know. And it tested as meth? That's what they said. I so why think... would anyone drive around with two pounds of kitty litter in their sock? I was going to say in a sock. Okay. The 24-year-old says it keeps his windows from fogging up. I've actually heard this. Because it, it absorbs the moisture. Mm -hmm. You use the clay kind. <clears throat> and then, yes. Which definitely doesn't look like meth. <laughs> I've never seen any kitty litter that I would think, oh, that might be drugs. <laughs> Let me sniff the box. <laughs> Pee on it. Does it clump? <laughs> Did it turn blue? Do I have an infection? The fuck? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love it when I can do that to you. Oh, my God. All right. I do. My work here oh. is done. So this happened at the beginning of January. So just, just a little tiny bit ago. Okay. Okay. Happened in Wisconsin. Okay. Portage, Wisconsin firefighters were called to the Associated Milk Producers Incorporated plant for a fire alarm. Okay. Can't we just it's have the cows do their thing? It's a historic dairy plant. Oh, okay. Save the history. Well, the historic dairy plant's fire filled a historic Wisconsin canal with butter. People are out there with bread and knives. Fire crews were attempting to gain access to the building, but heavy smoke and primarily butter runoff <laughs> prevented them from entering the building. <laughs> so, fire is not funny. However, the image of my head, in my head, of the firefighters slipping and sliding all over the place in melted butter is Hilarious. Now, how many of their wives were pissed that they didn't bring it home? Fill those damn pockets with that butter. The fire chief, whose name is Troy Hase, maybe? H-A-A-S-E. I probably... I think it's it. Haas. Haas? Okay. So, Troy Haas told the reporters that the firefighters were up to their knees in butter. Oh, my God. That's, like, as high as their boots go. Can you, I wonder if it was in their boots. Can you imagine having to do the laundry? Oh, my God. Just burn it. Oh, my God. You can't just burn firefighters' equipment. When we first tried to go up the stairs to that part that collapsed, this stuff, the butter, was running down, like, three inches thick, thick on the steps. So our guys were up to their knees trying to go up the steps to get to the top. And they're trying to drag the hose line. But the hose line got so full of butter, they couldn't hang on to it anymore. This is like a Three Stooges thing, isn't it? The fire department later determined that the blaze had started in the room where the butter was being stored. And of course, as it heated, the butter began to flow through the structure. Because butter is flammable. Yeah. So the crew was able to extinguish the fire before it could spread past the firewalls and throughout the building. That so is, they were good. able to... I mean, yep. I'm glad the story has a good ending. A hazmat team was called in to contain the runoff into the storm sewers and the canal by using a boom and other absorbents. 
No injuries were reported. Thank God. That's awesome. That's a funny, funny, funny fucking story. I thought you'd appreciate that. That is just funny as hell. Right? Oh, my God. All right. Bring the bread! And the crackers. And the containers. <clears throat> you see the price of butter lately? Yep. Yeah. And I'd I don't buy margarine. I don't buy margarine, so. I'd be all over that shit. <clears throat> all right. My story is called The Doctor Is In. Don't look at me like you're suspicious already. What is the doctor in? In the city of Cork, located in Ireland. Ireland. Oh, God, please don't ever do that again. <laughs> in 1789. Jesus, what is it with you and I in the 1700s? I don't know. A child was born to Jeremiah and Marianne Bulkley, the second of three born into the family. We know the child is James Barry. Jeremiah and Marianne had an older son they named John. And later, a daughter was born into the family. They named her Juliana. Born in 1760, Jeremiah met and married Marianne Barry, who was 17 at the time, in 1782 in Cork County. And at the time that they were married, that it, it is said that Jeremiah was successfully running a grocery. Okay. Now, Marianne Barry Bulkley was the sister to James Barry, a very well-known Irish artist. He was also a professor of painting at the London's Royal Academy. He had done well for himself in his lifetime. And he had a very close group of influential friends. Not like you and I. We just have everything. Yes. Yes, we do. James was actually best remembered for his six-part series of paintings entitled The Progress of Human Culture that hung in the great room of the Royal Society of Arts in London. Oh, that sounds fancy. So this is Marianne's brother. Okay. Marianne and her brother James had been estranged for many years for reasons that I am not aware of. But despite their family connections, the Bulkley family itself was not a wealthy family by any means. Jeremiah ran the Way House in Merchant's Quay, but due to some of his religious and political beliefs, he eventually lost his job there. And about the same time, their oldest son John finished his education and he moved out of his parents' home to establish his own residence within the city where he had begun dating a wealthy socialite. Oh, well, good for him. When Jeremiah lost Did his... she have a husband? Not if they're dating, I don't think so. Well, maybe she kept him in the attic. This is a possibility. That is not part of the story. We're not talking about structures of houses. When Jeremiah lost his job at the Wayhouse, he was unable to obtain another. And because of this, the debts for John's education and the fact that his wife chose to not change her spending habits... The family felt deep into debt, the kind that they could never repay. Okay. And about this time, another of Marianne's brothers came to Cork and being unemployed, he was also living in the Bulkley home. Oh, my God. <clears throat> that fact is going to be important later on in the story. Why don't these people just go find jobs? I don't know. Why do you keep letting unemployed people move into your home? Raymond Berry was a sailor who had no concept of money management, scruples, or morals. He was an irresponsible relative who would change the family dynamics forever. Due to Jeremiah not having the ability to pay his creditors, he ended up in the Marshall Sea Debtors Prison. Now, the Marshall Sea was a notorious prison in Southwark, just south of the River Thames. It's the River Thames. That one, too. So apparently where two rivers connected. Yes, Thames. Thames. Although it housed a variety of prisoners, including men who were accused of crimes at sea and political figures charged with sedition, it, began, it became known in particular for its incarceration 
of the poorest of London's debtors. In the 1800s, over half of England's population ended up in various jails and prisons due to indebtedness. I have to ask, how did they think that was going to help the problem? Hey, you owe money you can't pay. So we'll throw you in prison where you can't work and you still can't pay your debt. And now your family doesn't have your income. So now your family will be farther into debt. I didn't dig into that portion of the story. I'm sure you did. It's already long enough. Just saying. It is not unknown for the wife and children of the debtor to live in the prison with him until the debts are paid off. How do they pay off the debts? I'm going to say they must work somehow and make money somehow to pay the debts. The Marshall Sea Prison became actually became, became known around the world in the 19th century through the writing of Charles Dickens, whose father was sent there in 1824. Oh, wow. When Dickens was only 12. He had a debt to a baker. Much of the prison was demolished in the 1870s, although parts of it were used as shops and rooms into the 20th century. All that is left of it now is the long brick wall that marked its southern boundary. I'm not sure how long Jeremiah was at the prison, but it is speculated that during this time, Marianne may have become pregnant with Juliana, who may not have been the biological daughter of Jeremiah. And when Jeremiah returned home, he booted Marianne and James, their child, out of the family home. So he kicked out Marianne. And James. And James. And kept Juliana. He kicked out his son, but kept the child that might not have been his. Okay. That's odd. Marianne showed up on her eldest son John's doorstep, but John was in no position to help his family out. He had gotten married and started his own family. Or maybe he just didn't feel like it. Doesn't sound like Marianne was real wise when it came to right things that she should have been wiser about. Having exhausted all of her resources in Ireland, Marianne left for London where her brother resided, the other James Barry, the elder. Oh, okay. <clears throat> young James was about 15 when they headed off to meet the uncle he had never known. And the two of them, Marianne and James, did not receive the warm welcome they were expecting. Marianne's brother was not receptive to caring for them when they showed up at his doorstep unannounced. He hadn't seen his sister in over 30 years, and whatever the reason for the estrangement, apparently it was still important, at least in his mind. So Marianne and young James were on their own for the time being. Now, young James was extraordinarily intelligent. I mean, extraordinarily intelligent. Short in heights and kind of young looking for any age he was ever at. Okay. All of which presented issues with people taking him seriously throughout his lifetime. I read that Marianne tried to get James for jobs to tutor other students, but due to the social standing, this idea wasn't highly successful. But somehow for the next two years, after arriving in London, Marianne managed to care for herself and her teenage child until 1806, when her brother, the artist professor, passed away, leaving no wife or children behind. Thus, Mary Ann inherited everything James Barry had accumulated in his lifetime. Okay. Now, now their lives were a lot more comfortable. James could get a suitable education. And with the help of several of late James Barry's acquaintances, a general, a lawyer, and a doctor, James was eventually able to get into medical school. Okay. The University of Edinburgh was chosen for James's education. And on November 30th, 1809, the two boarded a fishing boat and headed off to Edinburgh, Scotland. Arriving in Edinburgh, James registered at the school as a literary and medical student. However, 
His short stature, his delicate features, and his smooth skin led many to suspect that James was a young boy, not yet past puberty, that he was younger than he portrayed himself. How could they take him seriously? Good Lord. And the university senate initially attempted to block his application for the final examinations due to his apparent youthfulness. However, the Earl of Buchan, a friend of James's late namesake, persuaded the Senate to relent, and the young student qualified as a medical doctor in 1812. Okay. So that is three years. He was... <clears throat> he then moved to London, signing up for courses as a pupil as a pupil at the United Hospitals of both Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospitals, whose teachers included Henry Klein, president of the Royal College of Surgeons, and the celebrated surgeon, Astley Cooper. On July 2nd of 1813, James successfully passed the examination of the Royal College of Surgeons. This extremely intelligent, young-looking person, whom everyone always had had a problem taking seriously, became a surgical doctor at the age of 24 after only four years in school. Wow. He had a future ahead of him that would include traveling the world and changing the lives of millions of his fellow human beings. That's pretty impressive. But he didn't know that. No. Immediately upon beginning becoming a doctor, James enlisted in the Army and was commissioned only four days later as a hospital assistant in the British Army, first in Chelsea and then the Royal Military Hospital in Plymouth. And by December of 1815, at the age of 26, he had been promoted all the way to the assistant surgeon to the forces, a title that would be equivalent to a lieutenant in our military. Okay. 1816, found the good doctor in Cape Town, South Africa, where he met and became very good friends with Governor Lieutenant General Lord Charles Somerset, who governed from 1814 to 1826. He became the personal physician to the governor and his family, and during his time that he was doing so well, in the army that he was promoted to colonial medical inspector. So another step up. Right. Dr. Barry stayed in Cape Town for 10 years and he worked hard to make medical changes there. Improvements to sanitation and water systems. Improved conditions for enslaved people, prisoners, and the mentally ill. The provision of a sanctuary for the leper population. He did that too. James also performed one of the very first known successful cesarean sections in which both the mother and the child survived. Wow. The family was so grateful that they christened the child James Barry Munich in his honor, and the name was passed down through the generations, leading to Barry's name still being born by a later prime minister of South Africa, wow. James Barry Munich Herzog. Other doctors were critical of the doctor's methods because they were different. They weren't customary. But our good doctor had thick skin and pretty much ignored them. He really he really didn't care for some of their methods himself. And having the governor for a good friend probably didn't hurt either. While in South Africa, the doctor employed a black servant whose name is unknown. Many sources call him John, so I will call him John also. That was pretty common. John traveled the world with the doctor up until Dr. James passed away in 1865. By 1827, the doctor had been promoted again to post-surgeon of the forces when he found himself traveling to Mauritius. He and John found themselves back in Cape Town two years later. However, when his good friend, the former governor Somerset, had fallen gravely ill. He stayed there for two years taking care of his friend until Somerset passed on in 1831. 
Now, James had returned to Cape Town without the permission of his superiors. So it says a great deal about his medical abilities that even though he was AWOL, he was not discharged from the service. He wasn't, in fact. He was sent to the island of Jamaica. And after that, he went to St. Helena's, where he clashed with a fellow surgeon regarding the fellow's medical practices. A brawl ensued between the two. James Berry was arrested and court-martialed on a charge of conduct unbecoming the character of an officer and a gentleman. The brawl was actually a pistol duel with Captain Josias Clope of the 21st Light Dragoons. Barry's aim was better. His bullet struck the cap of his opponent and took off the peak. Now, if that makes James's aim better, I'm a little afraid of how bad the captain's aim was. Anyway, Barry was found not guilty. He was honorably acquitted of the charges. Of course he was. By 1840, Dr. James had been a doctor for 27 years and had also served in the military for every one of those 27 years. What happened to his mom? We never hear about her again. Oh, okay. Um, he was transferred over to the West Indies, overseeing both the Leeward and the Windward Islands. John, of course, went with him. They'd been together for 24 years at that point. While in the islands, Dr. James was able to focus on medicine, the management of it, how to improve the overall health of the troops. This was the stuff the doctor thrived on. Of course, it didn't take long for the surgeon of the forces to be promoted again to principal medical doctor. And it was in the West Indies that Dr. James had to deal with yellow fever. Next stop on the transportation train, Malta, where the doctor dealt with a cholera epidemic, earning himself a promotion to Deputy Inspector General of Hospitals. Wow. And then a transfer to Corfu in 1851 for himself and John. Now, Deputy Inspector General is equivalent to being a Lieutenant Colonel. And it didn't take long for our traveling doctor to transfer to Canada where the new title of Inspector General of Hospitals was waiting. That's like being a Brigadier General. Or, yeah, Brigadier General. For those of us who are unfamiliar with military terms, or foreign military. And it is the top rank you can achieve in the British Army. That's what I was just going to look up. Yes. But in Canada, Dr. James didn't slow down. There was so much to be done. Better food, more sanitary conditions, proper medical care. Not just for the soldiers and their families. But for prisoners of war and hospital patients, they deserve those things also, including lepers. Dr. Barry had a calm and considerate bedside manner, which instilled confidence and set his patients at ease. He was a skilled surgeon who never refused to treat a patient, caring for soldiers and civilians, rich and poor, colonists and slaves alike. Wherever the doctor served across the British Empire, improvements were made to sanitary conditions and the conditions and the diets of both the common soldier and other underrepresented groups. Dr. James was outraged by the unnecessary suffering he saw, and he took a heavy-handed and sometimes a tactless approach to demanding improvements for the poor and the underprivileged, which often incited anger from other officials and other military officers. On several occasions, the doctor was both arrested and demoted for how far this behavior was carried. Dr. James held strict and unusually modern views about nutrition. He was a complete vegetarian. He never touched any form of alcohol. And any photos or sketches you will find of him show a slim doctor, always clean shaven with very curly light brown or sometimes dark blonde hair that was kept usually above the ears. The doctor made the choice to put career first, never marrying, never having children. 
Indeed, the doctor formed very few close and personal relationships, except in animals. For a long time, he had a very beloved poodle named Psyche, oh. and of course, his relationship with John. Right. In 1859, Dr. Barry became ill. He contracted influenza that turned into bronchitis. And despite protesting the decision, Barry was forcefully retired by the Army on July 19th of 1859 due to ill health and old age. And he was succeeded as Inspector General of Hospitals by David Drumback. Now, after a quiet retirement in London and an extremely full life of traveling and making a difference in most everyone's life that had met the doctor, James Barry finally passed away from dysentery on July 25th of 1865, with John at his bedside. It was not an unexpected death. Dysentery was a common killer. Right. The British Army almost immediately sealed the medical records of Dr. James Barry, medical doctor, hospital assistant, surgeon to the forces, colonial medical inspector, surgeon to the forces, deputy inspector general of hospitals, and inspector general of the hospitals. After faithfully serving the country for 48 years, years, saving numerous lives with sanitation, better medical care for all, better nutrition, and completing the first cesarean section with 100% survival, thus changing the game for all pregnant women everywhere. Why did his country not want anyone to know about his accomplishments? What was it about James Barry that made the Britons say, nope, we're going to pretend he never existed? I actually have a guess. You would think that with all of his innovations, achievements, and accomplishments, they would be celebrating him, not banishing him. Now, to answer that question, we have to go back to the beginning. Okay. In the city of Cork, located in Ireland, the year was 1769, and a child was born to Jeremiah and Marianne Bulkley, the second of three born into the family. Jeremiah and Marianne had an older son they named John, and later a daughter was born into the family. They named her Juliana. Jeremiah and Marianne named their third child Margaret Ann. As she grew up, she was short, thin with dark curly hair and delicate features. She was also extraordinarily intelligent and would do extraordinarily things with her life. This was the child that the world would come to know as one of the greatest doctors of all time in the British Army. That was not my guess. Dr. James Barry. When the doctor passed away, he had left strict instructions for the disposal of his body. And those instructions did not include any of the normal rituals. He simply wanted to be wrapped up in his bed linens and buried in the clothes he died in with no funeral. His wishes were not followed. Dr. Barry was renowned, a very respected public figure, and he deserved a grand send-off. A charwoman was brought in. It was her job to undress, wash, redress, and lay the body out for viewing and burial. And to her surprise, obviously, Dr. Barry was a woman and at some time in her early life, had given birth. Oh. The charwoman attempted blackmail to keep the story secret, and when that didn't work, she went to the press with a news-breaking story. The British Army learned of the story after it was published, and he immediately sealed up any and all of Dr. Barry's medical records. Records indicate that Raymond Barry, Margaret's uncle, mm-hmm. who stayed with the family for a time, raped the young girl on more than one occasion, resulting in pregnancy while Jeremiah was in prison. Records also indicate that Marianne took Margaret away when it was time to give birth, and when the three of them went back to Cork County, passed Margaret's baby off as her own, as her sister Juliet. Wow. With Marianne claiming the baby, she had given birth to her herself, herself, thus saving Margaret from scandal. If these facts are true, that would explain why Jeremiah then made them leave the family home. 
why Margaret chose to become James and pursue a life in medicine, why she chose to live her life as a man never marrying or having children. She always wore an overcoat. She had three-inch inserts built into her shoes, making her taller. She developed a loud voice and was known for having a short, hot temper, for shouting, swearing, and obscenities, all masculine traits. Mm -hmm. The doctor, dressed in loud, flamboyant clothing, wore stylish wigs, so many ways to change their own appearance. After choosing to live as a male, James Berry never returned to his previous name and never presented as a woman again, living both publicly and privately as a man, signing his letters as a gentleman and using male pronouns to describe himself. Dr. James Berry is buried in Kensie Green Cemetery in Northwest London. No matter your opinion, one thing remains for sure. Dr. James Berry was way ahead of his time as a doctor and a humanitarian, and a great many lives were changed for the better because of it. Unfortunately, Dr. James Berry is not best known for his groundbreaking work in the medical field, nor for the lives he saved through innovation, nor for his humanitarian efforts. Dr. James Berry is not even remembered as a woman who broke the glass ceilings. Dr. James Berry is best remembered for the scandal that erupted after his death, for being the woman who tricked everyone for over 50 years. Well, holy shit. I did not see that twist coming. I didn't think you would. That was almost as good as the, uh, as the dwarf in the trunk. Hell yeah. Wow. I know. I legitimately thought you were going to say that he was gay, which would have been a huge scandal back then, because it was the only thing I could think of. I deliberately went back through the story, like, especially in the beginning, and made sure that any references were not to a he-she child. Right. You did a very good job. That was a fantastic story. Thanks. High five, girl. Thank High you. five. Wow. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks to everybody who uh, came and hung out with us tonight. Hell Yeah. I hope that they all enjoyed the story as much as I did. Hopefully. Send us, keep sending us ideas. Somebody actually sent me that idea. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yep. Somebody sent me that one. Well, I have a whole a whole list of story ideas courtesy of uh, my trip and J- Mr. Jingleheimer Schmidt. So yes. we've got some shit coming. All right. All right. We love you guys. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Bye.
We hear it. Tell me something I didn't need to know. Really appreciate the time you spent with us today. Hopefully you learned something unusual today. You can find us on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know or at tmsidntk at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at tmsidntk, which are the initials for the title. Suggestions, ideas, comments, corrections, send them our way. We take them all. If you enjoyed your short stop with us, please feel free to follow the podcast, leave us a rating and review. That lets us know how we're doing and helps others to find us. This podcast is hosted by a couple of sisters who research, write, and edit their own stories. All other editing and production is done by Mary Swartz, and the original artwork was created by Hannah Green.